let's lift our voice again and cry holy. Hallelujah. You are holy. You are holy. You are holy. You are holy. Praise the name of the Lord. We welcome to this pulpit today, Brother Shoemake. I certainly hope that he would feel at home and that God would speak to us through the word of the Lord today. Brother Shoemake, come. We welcome you, Greater Life Church. Thank you, Brother Hughes. It is a privilege to be here and minister in your wonderful church. And we really appreciate and love your pastor and his wife, wonderful people. You may be seated. One of the things that I love about the kingdom of God is the... uh, expectancy. You come to the house of God, you never really know what's going to happen because God is able to do all things exceeding abundantly above everything that we would ask or think. And He is greater than your needs or your problems today. He is able to minister to you, no matter what that need is. He's able to minister today. It's very important that we understand His power and His ability and open our hearts to His ministry. I want to say again that I I really appreciate Brother and Sister Hughes there their sincerity and their kindness, and uh, I've never heard Brother Hughes preach. I heard him at his mother-in-law's funeral, and I thought when I heard him, I, I have really, uh, I've really missed it by not hearing him preach because he is a tremendous speaker, and his. Uh, passion for the kingdom of God and love for people is just, uh, well, it's very obvious, and I trust that God would direct their steps and yours in the coming days and weeks and months and bless this church with great revival. And God is more than able. He is more than able. I want to turn to the book of Exodus today, and I will read a passage of Scripture from chapter 2 to give you just a little bit of a background. God is actually in the planning stages for doing something very great for Israel. God already has the plan in mind, and He's allowing things to transpire that will cause Israel to accept what He's wanting to do for them. You know, a lot of times we need something from God, but we're not quite ready to accept it because life circumstances have not yet brought us to a place to where our 
needs and our desires are greater than our comfort and our feelings of security. God has a way of moving us out of uh, areas of comfort and security to be able to move us to a better place. It's kind of interesting. Sometimes we can get so wrapped up in our own position in life, and we learn to deal with issues that are not always pleasant and not always good for us, but we learn to deal with them, and we just accept them. I've never tried this. In fact, I don't know that I would have the heart to, but they tell me that if you want to put a frog in boiling water, that you actually put the frog in cold water, and you turn the heat on. And they say the frog will just sit there as the heat grows in intensity, never actually realizing what's happening to him. And if that is true, it's an experiment that I would have no interest in proving. But if that is true, I think it's parallel to humanity and to our situation in life, uh, many times we get used to situations and we don't really understand the desperate need for change or for deliverance. And sometimes God has to allow things to transpire in our lives that is a wake-up call or something that would cause us to want a change and therefore making it easier for God to bring about the drastic change. There's a word that's been used quite often in more recent years and used more in uh, business circles than it would be in church circles, but that word is paradigm. And paradigm uh, simply means a set of rules or guidelines for a group of people. You, you have to have certain guidelines in order to form a community. And everybody understands that we work within that framework. And uh, oftentimes uh, things can be in bad shape. And... We know that they're not going well, but we're afraid of change. And uh, talks about paradigm change or shifts and uh, about a paradigm shifter, someone that would uh, be willing to step out in the face of all the known rules and the accepted actions and activities and relationships, but someone that would step out in the midst of that, and dare to challenge the fact that these rules are no longer good. They need changing. They need altering uh, for us to be able to go on in a productive manner. And change is not always easy, but sometimes it's absolutely necessary. If you would approach a drug addict today, who has just recently had a fix, and they are enjoying the high of 
the drugs they're on, you would have a hard time convincing them that they need to change. But if you wait until the high has hit a low and they're suffering now and wondering where the next fix is going to come from, at that moment of desperate need, they might agree with you that they need a change. It's kind of interesting. Addictions, uh, they have proven that when a person uh, is addicted to a drug, that it is a, there's a physical addiction that grips the body and touches the mind. And, of course, the effects of, of the drug gets a hold of the body until the body has to have it. If you don't have the drugs, you go into withdrawals, which can be very painful and, uh, in fact, uh, devastatingly so, I understand. But if they can take a person away from their environment and deny them access to drugs until the drugs have gotten out of their system, until they have gone through a time of withdrawal, and when the body is withdrawn from the need for those drugs, the body no longer requires the drugs. In other words, they're free. They don't have to find another drug dealer. They don't have to steal $1,000 worth of goods and maybe get 100 for it so they can buy the drug of choice. They don't have to have that. In other words, their body doesn't demand it, but their mind still demands it. That's the reason a person can get out of a rehab and uh, head straight, not for friends and family, to rejoice for their, their cleansing and their deliverance, but head for a drug dealer to get another fix, even though the body doesn't require it. There's something of the mind. These, there, there, is, there is something of, of addiction that grips the mind as much as it does the body, and even more so because when the body's free, the mind's still enslaved, and people are still having to dance to the tune of their addictions. It controls their lives. And many of the things that control our actions and our attitudes may not be as, uh, as deadly, as devastating, or as destructive as uh, a drug addiction. But at the same time, we can be so, so entrenched in our ideas about life that it is almost impossible to break out of the mode of helplessness, hopelessness, or the feelings of it can't be done, or I can't get there. If you've ever dealt with someone who is so bound by ideas of helplessness, hopelessness, defeatism, if you have ever dealt with people like that, you understand that two or three hours with them can weary your mind and your body as much as eight hours of hard physical labor. 
And folks get locked into situations that are not good for them, but in, in a way they would like to get out of it, but they don't always like the process necessary to break loose from a life or a situation of, of defeat or hurt or destruction and so forth. Oftentimes in life, God allows us to get to places to where we desperately need a change. Like the young man who had been a drug addict for many years, sitting under a tree by a creek in California. He got to thinking about life and how drugs were controlling his life. And how hard it was to live, how much it took to feed his addictions, and how many people that he had had hurt, and uh, what had happened to his life. Sitting there contemplating all of that, all of a sudden, though he was not a praying person, all of a sudden he prayed, and he cried out that day, in desperation, and said, Oh, God, if there is a God, would you please show me how to get out of this dilemma? And after a while, he got up and he headed back to the highway. He didn't have transportation, so he stood beside the highway with his thumb out. And a person who would normally never stop for a hitchhiker, felt impressed to stop that day and stopped and allowed him to get in the car. And as they drove along, this individual felt very impressed that they needed to share their testimony with this young man. And they began to talk about God and how God had changed their lives and what God had done for them. And as the uh, personal testimony proceeded, this man responded by weeping and finally said, Would you please tell me how to find that God and that deliverance? A moment of desperation, a cry of desperation brought the help and sometimes the only help that a person can find, the only thing that will work, because the world does not always have the answers to our needs. Medical science, with all of its fantastic advancements, always doesn't always have the answer to our needs. But God always has an answer to the need of mankind. And we are never without the observation of God. The Bible said that God is always there when we need Him. There is no variableness in Him, nor shadow of turning, meaning that God, with all of His love and mercy and righteousness, is always there. If you go to the left, He's there. To the right, He is there. It doesn't matter where you go. God is always there. 
The secret is not whether God's going to be there or not. It's whether you're going to recognize that God is there and He is willing to step in to your situation and make a difference in your life. God cares. And God is devoted to ministering to the needs of mankind. I quote the scripture that's been quoted millions of times. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Aren't you glad for the love of God? Would, would you pause for just a moment today? Would you consider where you were when you discovered God? Would you consider what was taking place in your life and how God ministered to those needs for just a moment. Would you do that? When we consider God's personal attention to our needs, we understand that God must consider that we're pretty valuable, worth effort. And uh, worth his attention. And it's wonderful to think that, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That we are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. By the precious blood. Of Jesus Christ. We're redeemed not because a parent had the ability to buy our redemption, because human resources would never be enough to purchase our redemption, but His blood was sufficient. Amen. I said His blood was sufficient. I look back at our good friends, the joys today, and I think of Sister Jackie's deliverance and how God ministered to her and then how she was able to minister to Brother David and brought him to God. And I am just so grateful for God's love for us and His consideration for us as individuals. In fact, I think we ought to pause for a moment I wish, I wish you would just allow the Spirit of God to minister to your hearts today so that God can bring this service to a conclusion with a moving of His Spirit that would minister to our hearts and our needs. Would you just open your hearts right now and express your gratitude to God for the wonderful things that He's done in your life? Father, we do thank You today. Our hearts... down to us when we were all together under
and your mercy, God. I don't want to forget the things that you've done in my life that really matter. I don't want to forget them, God. I want to embrace your goodness. I want to embrace and acknowledge your mercy and your grace towards me today. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. In the first chapter of the book of Exodus, we find that uh, Israel, after having been enslaved for, well, approximately 400 years, and suddenly uh, the king or Pharaoh recognizes the fact that the Israelites are growing at a rapid pace. He quickly computes uh, the rate of growth and realizes that in short order, Israel is going to outnumber the Egyptians. And they are going to be strong enough in number that if they should ever understand the strength of their numbers, they could easily align themselves with an enemy of Egypt and create all kinds of trouble for Egypt. And so the uh, solution to that problem, as far as Pharaoh was concerned, was that all of the male children were to be destroyed. And this created a great deal of uh, heartache and sorrow and a lot of pressure on uh, the Israelites. And the Bible said that they increased the workload of uh, the slaves, and that's what, that's what the Israelites were at that time. They were slaves. They had no control over their destiny. They had no choice about life, and I would imagine after some... 400 years that the slave mentality, almost like the drug mentality, had gotten into their minds and their hearts so much that they couldn't see a way out. Uh, And now their burdens become greater. They are not just slaves, but they are slaves that have brought fear to the hearts of the Egyptians. And so as is so common under dictators and that kind of regime, as is so common, uh, they try to put down the possibility of rebellion by increasing pressure on the lives of the people that they feel might rise up against them. And usually at some point in the future, this backfires, but... uh, This was the tactic that Pharaoh was using on uh, the Israelites. And we come to the second chapter. And there went a man out of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer or not longer hide him, she took or took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and 
she laid it in the flags by the river brink. And you know the story. I won't bore you with uh, multiple details except to say that uh, Pharaoh's daughter happened to see that little ark and her curiosity drew her to it. And she saw that baby boy and it seemed like she was almost as much impressed with his looks as his mom and dad had been. And she decided to keep the child as her own. And uh, Moses' sister was standing nearby, and when she saw this, she rushed up and asked Pharaoh's daughter if she would like to have a nursing mother that could come and take care of that child, and she said yes. And so she went and got Moses' mother. As a result of this, Moses' mother was able to raise him the first few years of his life, at least we know long enough that she was able to put into his heart the fact that he was an Israelite and not an Egyptian. And I I thought uh, how interesting that the baby that survived the cruel decree of Pharaoh that all male children should be killed was the same one that was going to bring about the death of a Pharaoh because God had his hand on Moses. Now, the problem with Israel is that in their minds, there was no way out, but God was working. He worked in the fact that Moses survived the decree of death and uh, grew up, trained, taught, the best institutions that Egypt had to offer. And uh, as a man now, he encounters an Egyptian abusing a Hebrew. And the result is uh, that he kills the Egyptian, buries his body in the sand, doesn't think anyone saw it. The next day, he's made aware of the fact that God had someone there that saw it because God still had a plan. And he's aware that folks know what he's done, and so he flees the country. He winds up in Midian and becomes a shepherd. And in this process, going to the backside of the desert with a shepherd, Moses has an encounter with God and never discount the value of our encounters with God. You know, we take these things for granted, but our lives are directed by our relationship with God. Your encounter may not be as spectacular as that one of Moses when he saw the bush burning and not being consumed. And then a voice comes forward and calls him and identifies himself as God. Your encounter may be nothing more than a moment at the altar, just praying, and suddenly the Spirit of God moves into the place, and your heart is touched, and God begins to speak to your mind regarding life, the future, your family, your job, or whatever may be transpiring in your life. 
But that moment of encounter with God when He makes His presence real to you is enough to give you strength to carry out whatever plans God has for your life. Never discount the value of those spiritual encounters. Never discount the value of coming to the house of God with a heart that's open. Never, never underestimate the value of leaving the cares of life outside the walls of this church when you come to the house of God. Because, you see, just walking through life allows life to grab a hold of you. It's almost like we are clothed with Velcro. And on the job, people say things. You are aware of life, and it's not always good. All of this has a way of attaching itself to our lives. And we come to the house of God. Oftentimes, we allow the burdens of life to so clog our thinking that we're not aware of the fact that God is here to speak to our hearts and to make a difference in our lives. You care about that son or that daughter that's unsaved. Never doubt the fact that God cares more than you care. There is nothing that God would enjoy doing more than give you an answer to your child's need. There's nothing that would please God more than being able to direct your lives in a way that would impact their hearts and their minds and bring them back to Him or bring them to Him. It's very important that we shed the burdens of the day. I pray often, God, please just help me to get rid of the junk of life, the cares of life. They're not all immoral and impure. They're just weights. That's why the Bible said that we should lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. And I pray, God, help me to rid my mind and my life of the junk of life so that my heart can absorb your presence so that my mind can be open to your voice so that I can hear what you have to say in a time of need our encounters with God are probably the most important encounters of life you could never meet anyone that's as important to your well-being and your future as God. I'm amazed at humanity and its desire to touch the lives of celebrity. And if we meet a celebrity, we'll talk about it to the next several people that we meet just to let them know that we've been in the presence of a celebrity. And there is no one, no celebrity, no matter how popular, no matter the numbers of their followers or fans, there is no one that is as important to your life as God Almighty. And we take it for granted that 
God's just there. He'll always be there. And then we kind of shut off our mind in relationship to God. And we turn him off. It's sad that we would ignore the voice of God or that we would allow our minds to be cluttered with junk so that his voice doesn't come through strong and clear. Whatever's happening in your life today, I promise you that God has an answer for you. That God has a greater desire to see you find happiness, success, that that problem that's burdened you down is solved, that you have an answer for that decision that that has been weighting your mind. Uh, I promise you that God has a greater interest in solving your problem than you do. And the problem beyond the problem is that we come without focusing our minds or our attention on God and His ability to meet every need. Maybe there's only one person here today that really needs this, but you're important. It isn't that just because there's not a dozen or two dozen that have that need uh, that God's not going to respond But I promise you, God will respond to the need of one individual if you can just focus on the fact that God is here. God wants to speak to my heart. God desires an encounter with me. The Bible said if we'll draw nigh to God, then God will draw nigh to us. God does not force himself on people. The Bible said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, if any man hear my voice, and opens the door. You see, God's not in the business of kicking doors down. If you've got a need, maybe you've learned to endure it. Maybe it's going to have to become more painful before you are able to come to the place that you're ready to let God step in and bring a solution. Maybe you're going to have to suffer as a result of the attack of the enemy more before you're willing to say, I'm tired of this load. I'm tired of being battered by the pain, by uh, the discomfort of this. I'm tired of the uncertainties created by this. Maybe you're going to have to Go a little farther before you finally say, okay, God, I'm going to let you take care of this problem. I'm going to let you minister in my behalf. You know, it doesn't have to be that way. It really doesn't. The Bible said bring all your cares to him, the small ones and the great big ones. Bring all your cares to him, the ones that are creating a great deal of discomfort and the ones that you've learned to live with. Bring all of your cares to Him, for He cares for you. If you could just 
say in your heart and convince yourself if you could say, He cares for me. He cares for me. He does. He cares for you. And He's here today because He cares for you. And He knew that you would be here. And so God is here to minister to your heart's need. This is not the backside of the desert. We're not in Midian this morning. We're not in some exotic place, distant land. We're just here, a place that we're comfortable, a place that we're familiar with, a place that we have been oftentimes. We're just here. But I promise you, this doesn't have to be just another service or just here again. This can see a radical change in your lives if you'll open your heart to Almighty God. Maybe some of you have wrestled about your relation or with your relationship with God and you have wrestled with decisions about whether you're going to really commit to God and let God direct your steps. Maybe you've just kind of been on the fence for a while and, and you've thought about it. Maybe it would be good to really be committed to God and then you have felt the discouraging pull of humanity because humanity, bound by the powers of sin, does not easily allow itself to get close to God. And maybe God has dealt with you about a ministry that could radically change this church. Maybe God's placed something in your heart that would be so great if you allowed God to use it. I, I don't know why I thought of this the other day, but I thought of, of the couple that, that developed Search for Truth Bible study. And I remember when that desire to do that began to formulate in their minds, and I, along with several others, became sounding boards as they expressed their desires and their hungers and... Uh, they would talk about it and what a radical change it could make if we could just develop a Bible study course that an ordinary Christian could use, that anyone wouldn't have to have a uh, license to minister, but anyone could teach it to anyone in any home, small or great, and then God's not going to allow His Word to return void and uh, they, they proceeded with that and finally developed that Bible study. What a radical change that's made in our churches. We have many churches that exist today as a result of the effectiveness of Search for Truth Bible study. We have many churches that have been revitalized and new life has been brought 
as a result of Search for Truth Bible study because one couple at one time made up their minds they were going to allow God to speak to their hearts and make a difference not only in their lives but the lives of tens of thousands of other people. And though this is just a Sunday morning, it doesn't have to be just a Sunday morning. This Sunday morning could bring a radical change to the lives of individuals who say, I am tired of just warming a bench. I want God to speak to my heart. I want God to direct my steps. And God could speak to you today. And he could begin the final steps of that ministry that he's been talking to you about for a long time. Sometimes we've got to be like the four lepers outside the walls of Samaria, starving to death, realizing there was no help within and maybe no help without. But they weighed their choices. And they understood if they didn't do something, they would soon die. Their choices were so limited. If we were able even to get into the city, we wouldn't be any better off because they don't have any more than we have. If we go to the camp of the enemy, they may slay us the moment they see us. But there is a chance that they might feed us and let us live. And so they got up. And that's the first thing we've got to do is get up. It's time to get up. It's time to start wavering. In our commitment to God, it's time to get up. It's time to say there's no hope for me here. I've got to do something. And when they moved, God moved. Isn't it amazing how four leprous men who had nothing to offer society at that moment but their disease... And even that disease had set them apart. They had nothing to offer but a little bit of faith and a little bit of hope. And when they rose and began to act on that spark of hope and that little bit of faith, immediately God begins to work with them. As they head to the camp of the enemy, God begins to uh, increase the volume of their steps until the enemy thinks an army has joined with those folks and now we're about to be wiped out. And they fled their camp, leaving food, everything that they had. They fled in fear. God working with four leprous men. I don't think that any of us are quite in the condition those men were that day. I'm here to tell you today that no matter what your condition in life, God's ready to move when you're ready to move. When you said, I'm tired of this situation.
I am not going to die as a result of my situation. I might die as a result of my actions, but I'm not going to die as a result of this situation. Let me tell you, folks, God can radically change somebody's life today. Just a little bit of an encounter with God can make all the difference in the world. You see, it doesn't take God long to make radical changes in our situation in life. It doesn't take Him long at all. God is more than able to touch our hearts today. Brother Hughes, it it takes a long time to build a church. Months and sometimes years from the planning stages to the finished product. It takes a long time to build a church. The physical building is hard. It takes a lot of hard labor. A lot of mental energy and planning and so forth. The interesting thing is this, that sometimes we make the spiritual side of a church more hard than the physical side. The point that I want to make is the fact that it takes, it takes certain steps before you can take other steps in a building process. And though you might want to rush the process, you're rarely able to because there are just certain things that, that have to precede, precede other things. And it's, it can't be changed. But once the building is built and the carpet's down, the pews are bolted to the floor, it wouldn't take God six months to fill this building. Hear me today. It wouldn't take God six months to fill this building. In fact, I have seen revivals in my time that in one revival you could have almost filled this building. That's how quick God can work. If He can find people that will allow Him to work. If He can find folks who are tired of the status quo and they're willing to say, Okay, God, touch my heart. Grant me the wisdom that I need, the energy that I need, and help me. God can do it, folks. I said God can do it. One individual giving their hearts to God can revolutionize the attitude and the spirit of a whole congregation. Glory to God. Just allowing God to speak to your hearts. Hallelujah. I wonder how many today are tired of life as it is and are willing to say, God, I will yield myself to your voice, to your will. I'll let you direct my steps. Would you stand?